Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Bringing people to Jesus is our vision statement at Cross Lane, and a lot of times when I tell you what the vision statement at Cross Lane is, I will have you repeat it to us. I won't have you do that this morning, but I usually have you say that back to me, bringing people to Jesus, because I want you to know that. I always want you to know that. When we put our head on our pillow at night, that's what we're thinking about. How can we better ourselves come up with some new creative way to bring people to Jesus. Lord, what would you have us do? How, how, where, what links are we to go to? How much money should we spend? What, what could we do to bring somebody to Jesus? Now, usually when we're thinking about that, we're thinking about it in terms of the local church and how can we get them baptized, and that certainly is a great goal, and, and we have those opportunities all the time. We see people baptized, and that's you know lifts my spirits every time I see that. Really, the, the whole vision of bringing people to Jesus is about reach. That's really what we're talking about is reach. How, what is the reach of Cross Lane? And what we want is we want a short reach, a medium reach, and a long range reach. And we have that. There are things that happen in this building every single week to which you are uh, afforded an opportunity to get involved. There are also some, some you know, some of those things are, are, are ways that you get fed, and then some of those things are ways that you help feed other people. You can either be involved in ministries or you can take advantage of ministries, but you can go on our website, and there's all kinds of things going on throughout the week that you can be involved in. Right now, our small groups are going on, and, you know, if you're involved in that, you know what a cool thing that is. There's just, there's gobs of things. We're constantly trying to figure out ways to offer you something to be involved in. Some guys yesterday went and built a ramp on someone's house so the wheelchair could get in. There's all kinds of things that you can do either to, to benefit from or to you know, benefit someone else. And so um, that's our short-range reach. Regionally, we support all kinds of ministries that help um, like church camps and, and um, counseling centers and counseling situations, cri- people in crisis. And so we support regionally some ministries like the Art Christian Camp up in Kokomo, Indiana. We support Wonder Valley Christian Camp in Salem, Indiana. Lighthouse Mission, Crisis Pregnancy Center, Christian Counseling Center. And here recently we just started to support the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which we are really excited about because it's going to have a reach on middle school, high school, and college campuses here in the Wabash Valley. So we have our hands in a lot of different things regionally, and when you give your money, some of what we get goes to, a significant portion actually, goes to support a lot of the ministries that we do here in the church, goes to support the ministries that we, we have in partnership in, in a regional capacity, and then we have a long-range reach too, a global reach, a worldwide reach. We, we support the Haitian Christian Outreach in Haiti. We support the Hippo Valley Christian Mission in Africa. We support the North Burma Christian Mission in Thailand and, and the Smiles Foundation in, in Romania. And I can tell you that Tracy has led mission trips to all four of those locations to, to, so that we could not only just give us, send our money, but that we could go and actually help them in some way and see what they're doing and show them that we, we not only just want to give them some money, we in, we're interested, we care, we, we want to help them. And I was privileged to be able to go to Thailand with Tracy, and, and I, I actually got to be at North Burma Christian Mission and see what they do, and it's phenomenal. And it feels good to know that, that our church gives money to them and that they're able to take that, convert it, and use it in, in amazing ways to benefit the kingdom. 
And then there's one other partner that we have, and we have, felt we have partnered with them for some time now, World Vision. I don't know how many of you remember that we did the Matthew 25 challenge. When I say that, does that mean, ring a bell for you? If you remember that, raise your hand. Let me see. Not a lot in the first service. Some more in here. In November of 2018, we partnered with World Vision for something called the Matthew 25 Challenge. And Matthew 25 is really just all about trying, to, it's, it's, it's Jesus telling us how we can be the hands and feet, how we can be his hands and feet, how we can make a difference for the kingdom. And so we tried to raise awareness for the plight of people in third world countries through the, the Matthew 25 Challenge. So we went through a week of challenges. On Monday, it started out, we were just going to skip lunch. That's a that's a challenge for me. Skip lunch, huh? What? And then we would break that fast with rice and beans on Monday evening. And then Tuesday, we were just going to drink water. No Starbucks, no coffee, no pop, just water. We would do that all day. And then on Wednesday, not a whole lot happening in the daytime, but when evening rolled around, we were going to sleep on the floor. Now, when I was a younger man, sleeping on the floor wasn't that bad, but this body's not made to sleep on a floor, okay? And that was really hard for me. And so I didn't get a lot of sleep that night. What I did do that night was pray a lot, because when I woke up, I would just pray. Like, Lord, there are people in the world that don't have a bed to sleep in, and here I am on the floor, and you are reminding me of what it's like, how blessed I am. So God... <laughs> I'm sorry for my apathy, and, and Father, I'm thinking about some people that are way less fortunate than me. And then Thursday, we woke up, and we were supposed to wear the same clothes on Thursday that we wore on Wednesday, so I took a selfie and posted it on Instagram to tell all my friends that I I'm, 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 actually have more clothes, so if you see me wearing the same thing twice in a row, there's a reason I'm doing the Matthew 25 challenge and... Um, so that's a picture of that. And then on Friday, we were supposed to pray for people in crisis. We, you know, we get our family together and pray for people in crisis. And it was just a great way, a reminder for us that we did that in, in November. So it was right before Thanksgiving. And it was a great reminder to us right before Thanksgiving to remember how, how blessed we have been. And I don't think anybody would argue with me in here that we are blessed. We are blessed. I got a question for you this morning. Do you know the name of the man who laid hands on the Apostle Paul when he was converted to Christianity? Do you know his name? I, I don't expect many of you to know it. Some of you might. Most of you probably don't know it. His name is Ananias. And Ananias is probably my favorite Bible character in all of Scripture. And here's why. All I know about Ananias is what I'm told in Scripture, and all I'm told is he was a disciple of Jesus. That's it. Now let me tell you why that's important. Paul has gone to his higher-ups in Jerusalem and asked for permission to go to other parts of the world and find these people who have signed up to be a part of this thing called Christianity. They called it the Way. Because he, he viewed Jesus and he viewed Christianity as something that was a threat to Judaism. And as we've talked about in here, Jesus came and brought a whole new thing other than Judaism. He came to completely flip the script. 
And what Jesus was teaching was a threat to Judaism. So Paul was right. And so he wanted to, to get these Christians, round them up, bring them back to Jerusalem, and he wanted them tried, and he wanted them basically martyred. He wanted to kill them. And he was on his way to Damascus. He had paperwork in his hands to round up some Christians. He was, and, and on the way, he's interrupted. He's got an entourage with him, and he's interrupted. Bright light, and through the light, Jesus speaks to him, knocks him on his can, blinds him, shakes him up pretty good. And after that happens, he's converted to Christianity. He believes in Jesus, but he's blind, and he's just kind of waiting and and. During that time, God goes to this man named Ananias. And again, all we're told about Ananias is he was a disciple. Not a church leader, not a pastor, nothing special. And God goes to Ananias and he says, Ananias, there's this this guy Paul, and he's waiting for you to come lay your hands on him and pray for him. Ananias knows who Paul is, and he starts to push back, and he says, God, you don't understand. He wants to kill people like me. Do you know what you're asking? Well, of course God knew what he was asking. Ananias, I want you to go lay hands on this guy. Well, so that's what Ananias does. He goes to Paul. Can you imagine how scary that would be, knowing that this guy was really out to get you, and all you've got is the voice of God telling you, that's not the case anymore you know i'm because i'm sure god wasn't speaking to ananias like that all the time so this you know it's a big deal can you imagine being paul and having this guy walk in and lay his hands on you and call you brother paul brother paul can you imagine being ananias being the one asked to go in and lay hands on this guy that is so violent and so angry at this new faith that you have Now, here's the last question that I have for you. What would the world be like today if Ananias had said no? No. No, God. I will not go lay my hands on Paul. I will not do what you want me to do. I'm scared. I can't do it. I'm not your guy. I I just want to leave you with that question because... Here's what I think. I think if no one ever comes to encourage Paul, I think if no one ever comes to pray over Paul, if no one ever does anything else after God knocks him to the ground and blinds him, I'm not sure that Paul would have ever done a lot of the things that he did. And if Paul hadn't done the things that he did, we wouldn't have the New Testament. We wouldn't have a church. We, we, Paul was so instrumental in, in writing and in establishing all these churches around the the. the, the that part of the world, I don't think it's a stretch to say that without Paul, we wouldn't have Christianity today as we know it. You wouldn't have a hope of an eternity with Jesus. But you have all of that because a guy that you barely know his name was willing to go lay his hands on Paul because God called him to do it. I'm going to ask uh, Amy Claire Patterson to come out and she's going to speak to you this morning. Please open your heart and your ears and your eyes as she uh, issues a challenge, and uh, God's going to speak to you today. Amy Claire. Good morning. 
My name's Amy Claire Patterson, and I am with World Vision. And as a pastor's kid, it is an honor and privilege to share my story with you today at Cross Lane Community Church. I grew up in a small town in Iowa, and I was named after my dad. You might be wondering, wait, is your dad's name Amy? No, it is not. Uh, my dad and me don't share identical names, but our names hold the same meaning. I guess by the fourth girl, my parents realized they weren't having any boys. And so David and Amy both mean beloved. Growing up, I loved my family, being a pastor's kid in the church. Our home was a place where everyone was welcome, and there was always a lot of fun and laughter. Um, my dad was a former gymnast, and he had this silliness that would often manifest itself in really memorable ways at the church. And I can't help but keep myself from smiling because I think about these memories of when my dad would step up on a box to do a backflip on the church stage to celebrate hitting a missions goal, or the time that he rented a giant inflatable whale to hang from the vaulted church ceilings to swing out of the baptist for his sermon illustration on Jonah. Growing up, I was just so proud to be Pastor Dave's daughter, the fun he'd bring each Sunday, and the people that I loved that were in the church. But as the years passed, I started to realize that the church is made up of imperfect people. Just as I'm imperfect and we're all imperfect, I learned that when you have a group of imperfect people, broken relationships and pain will happen. I watched as the pain caused by the church physically broke my father down to the point where he was hospitalized with pneumonia. My dad, who I thought was invincible with his strength and athleticism, had been physically broken in ministry. After my dad was released from the hospital on my 15th birthday, my dad had some choices to make. Choices to make about his future and his career. He's an educated man with a Bachelor of Science and a Master of Divinity. He had opportunities to lead other churches or continue his education or take on another prestigious career. But the choice that I watched my dad make was one of the most unlikely and courageous I could have ever imagined. My dad traded his pulpit for a mop and became the, high, the janitor at the very same high school that my sister and I were attending every day. He took a step back, doing things that other people didn't want to do, like scrubbing toilets. And his decision turned my world upside down because his step back was so that I could take a step forward. Rather than choosing to relocate our family, to pursue a career that society deemed worthy or better, in my dad's humility to become a janitor, it ensured two things. One, I would finish high school where I had started, and two, my dad could invest in taking care of his health and his body so that he could be there for our family for many years to come. You see, my dad chose me, my mom and my sisters. When he made that unpopular career change marked by sacrifice, God called him to this decision. And over the three years that he served as a janitor, God restored him and used his brokenness to reach more people and, and bring the love and compassion of Jesus to people as a hospital chaplain, serving those that were hurting. 
My dad's choices tangibly modeled what it looks like to be faithful, to follow God's call, to be co-laborers and builders of the upside-down kingdom of God. And today, we're going to explore what it looks like for each and every one of us to be co-laborers and builders of the upside-down kingdom of God. But first, you might be wondering, what is this upside-down kingdom that I'm talking about? Well, it's the radical and profound principle that as Christians, everything about the Bible we believe in, the God we serve, and the Jesus we follow is upside down from the world that we live in. Everything about the Bible we believe in, the God we serve, and the Jesus we follow, it's upside down from the world that we live in. And for those of you who've been a part of the church a long time, you're going to recognize the examples that I'm going to share next. For those of you that are just starting to explore Christianity, here are a few highlights that summarize stories in the Bible that back up this idea. We follow a king who washes our feet. We follow a teacher who uses examples of the Good Samaritan in turning the other cheek. We follow a coach who calls short people to slay giants and stutters to be his spokespeople. We follow a priest who lifts up the worst of sinners as pillars of morality, pointing to their humility and their repentance. We have a heavenly father who gives strength to the weak and elevates the humble. Do you see it, Crosslane? Everything about the Bible we believe in, the God we serve, and the Jesus we follow is upside down from the world that we live in. That is exactly why it is so beautiful. And now that we've defined the upside down kingdom that I'm referring to, there are literally dozens of passages of scripture that give us um, building instructions or blueprints, if you will, for God's beautiful upside down kingdom. But for our short time together, I want to dive into Matthew 25 and starting in verse 31. Some of you who've been around Crosslane a few years, you might have remembered taking on the Matthew 25 challenge. And you might be thinking, I've lived this I got this passage. I'm going to check out the rest of the time you're talking. But I want to encourage you, do not check out. I want to encourage you to lean in because I think there's some hidden truths in here that we often miss. And in my opinion, one of the most clear and powerful descriptions of what I call two pillars of the upside down kingdom or two practical things that we can do, each and every one of us today, to be co-laborers and builders of the upside down kingdom. And let's just read this passage together. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will say, Lord, When did we see you hungry and give you something to eat? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? 
when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Amen. Now, for context, this passage is one of the creative ways that Jesus answered the question that he was so often asked, how do we get into your kingdom? And like most of his answers and teachings, Jesus gives us words that turn our worlds upside down. He doesn't just show us the way in. He gives us an opportunity to inherit his kingdom as co-laborers. It's not at all what we would expect to hear from a king, right? <laughs> what earthly king would say something like Jesus did about how to enter into his kingdom? No king in history. Just to enter, the cost is usually riches, land, troops. And you can forget about the idea of a king relinquishing his power to, to give you the opportunity to inherit his kingdom. But what did Jesus say? in this passage about entering and inheriting his kingdom. To feed the hungry, to give water to the thirsty, provide shelter for the homeless, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and visit the hurting. As we examine the components, they all kind of come together to form the first pillar of the upside down kingdom. We are called to be his co-laborers to restore broken circumstances surrounding the overwhelming challenges facing the most vulnerable people living in poverty around the world. And as we accept this first pillar and his calling to restore broken circumstances, if we're not careful, we could easily gloss over the second pillar. Because that second pillar it's a little more remarkable. It's a little more subtle, but I think it's just as remarkable, I should say. Did you notice what Jesus did when he called people that are hungry and thirsty, people that are homeless, those who are hurting, the people that have the least of these in the world? Do you see what he did when he called them his brothers and sisters? He affirmed their inherent dignity. Do you know how intentional that is? He didn't just stand behind this false narrative that we so often hear in our, our, our society that however much we love Jesus, we tend to protect this idea that people that have less are less. And therefore, if I have more, I am more. And all throughout scripture, but especially in this small but holy sentence, Jesus completely destroys that lie. He flips it upside down and says, nope, these are my brothers and sisters, my kin, my family. Just because they have less does not mean they are less. You see, people's circumstances are not their identity. These folks you're serving, they bear my image and my identity. So when you're restoring circumstances, Christians, don't you dare forget to affirm their inherent dignity as image bearers of the one true king. Now, I want to pause for a moment. I wonder if anyone hearing this identifies with that a bit personally. It's all a bit relative, right? Has anyone told you or made you feel that you are less because you have less? Has anyone looked down upon you 
and made you feel that you're not worthy. Or maybe it's not about how much you have or don't have, but your self-doubts and failures. Do these feelings in, of unworthiness and rejection, do they keep you from truly accepting how much God loves you? Well, the most radical truth and the foundation of the upside-down kingdom of God is that God loves us so much that although he was blameless, he gave the ultimate sacrifice of death in our place, and then he rose again so that we could have eternal life and have freedom from the bondage of our sin. And I say that's upside down because he sees all of us, the true us. He knows everything about us, and yet he chooses us and continues to choose us. And if you've surrendered your life to Christ before, right now it's easy to nod our head in agreement, to cognitively amen this principle. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with daily accepting and living into the fact that God likes what he sees in me and he chooses me daily. Earlier I shared that my dad and my names mean beloved. But if I'm being completely honest, when I reflect on my life and I think about my sins, my shortcomings, my failures, I don't even like what I see in me. So how can God, who sees all of me, who knows everything about me, love me, let alone like me. Now, some of you might be wondering why I'm in the pulpit right now with all my doubts, but hang with me because I know that God's truth is always bigger than any of my self-doubts or yours. Remember my opening story about my earthly father's sacrifice and the step back he, he took to choose me? Well, don't forget that you and I have a heavenly father who loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you on the cross for your sins. He knows everything about you from the number of hairs on your head to your thoughts and the things you dislike the most about yourself. And yet he chose you and continues to choose you daily. Now, I want to pause for a moment because there might be some people that are hearing my message right now that have not surrendered their life to Christ. And maybe this is their first time they've truly heard that God loves you and that he chose you and he wants to have a relationship with you. God's desire for each one of us is that you will accept this truth and invite Jesus into your hearts so that you might be saved. And that includes you. And for those of you who uh, tuned in last week, Pastor Brett talked about this, right? As he talked about the ABCs of the good news, I encourage you to check that out, to hear about how you can take those next steps in your faith and be hungry in, in, in pursuing God. Because Jesus paid the ultimate price so that everyone, including you and me, could not only enter, but inherit the kingdom of God as co-laborers called to restore the inherent dignity of the most vulnerable and to um, restore their broken circumstances. And let me just clarify again, we are not saved by works, but we are called, we are saved to work. We are called um, to be saved for a purpose 
And that's exactly what I believe this is. And maybe you're just beginning to accept the idea that God chose you and loves you, but despite your kingdom identity as chosen and loved by God, you're hesitant to accept this call to be a kingdom builder. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a chaplain, I'm not a missionary, I'm not a this or I'm not a that. Let's keep this kingdom building stuff to the professional Christians. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that God hates the I am not statements. To each one, he says, I know you're not, but I am. And it doesn't matter your background or your skills, your education, your job, or what the world tells you. Christ will strengthen you. He'll come alongside you and help you because you are called to be co-laborers and builders of the upside-down kingdom. And I wish that I had so many stories, so more time so that I could share all of these stories that I have about seeing God's upside-down kingdom being built right in front of my eyes and reminding me of its undeniable beauty. But I only have time for one more, and it's the story of two girls, Caroline and Melisech. My husband and I sponsor Caroline and Melisech. In 2019, I had the rare privilege to fly across the globe on two separate trips and meet them. These girls changed me as I laughed with them and saw the realities of their world. Caroline is going to be turning six in just a few weeks, and she lives with her parents and her five older brothers in Buanjay, Malawi. On my visit in 2019, I walked up right as she was handed a crayon. I have a picture of it here. And you can see just this joy welling up inside of her because she loves to draw. And it reminded me of my youngest niece because she also loves to draw. In fact, my husband is always encouraging her creative talents of our niece. He mails her supplies to to stoke that artistic ability in her as my husband's also an artist. And it just reminded me as I saw Caroline with that crayon that she's just like my niece. And as I met Caroline and her mom, my heart was full. But as we approached this next scene, and I have a picture of it here, I really wasn't prepared for the harsh jerk into the realities that they were facing in her community. This puddle was the only source of water for hundreds of people. And all the animals in that area as well. Women shared how they spent hours taking multiple trips every single day to collect this water that was horribly contaminated by a nearby cemetery. Now let me back up. Two months prior, over 2,000 miles away, I went to Shashogo, Ethiopia to meet Melisech. And now, Melisette, she is a loving and thoughtful girl. She was about 12 when I met her, and she wants to continue her education so that she can help others. And again, I'm thinking about my own big niece, my oldest niece, if you will, um, because as I saw this thoughtful girl in front of me who helped me wrap my scarf just right, I thought about my niece, who's a young adult now, but as a teenager, I was always looking to her to figure out how kids these days are cool, right? Because that's what you do with young people in your life. Um, But my niece also has a huge heart to help others, and she's consistently helping her mom and her little brothers. And, And 
Malasetja's community in Shashogo, we saw and heard stories of how clean water was making it possible for girls like Melisetch to attend school regularly. We heard how parents were learning to grow nutritious foods to feed their children and sell the excess food at fair market prices in the market. And World Vision has been working in Melisetch's community just three years longer than Caroline's restoring and affirming right before my eyes. As I saw the juxtaposition of these two girls' communities, I got to see broken circumstances of their worlds start to be restored. In both of their lives, inherent dignity start to be affirmed in the process. And while I was in Malawi, uh, the national director named Hazel, she stared, shared a stunning analogy with me. I think I have it up on the screen. And she shared, she started out by sharing this African proverb that says, children are letters to the future. And then she proceeded to say, through sponsorship, we are writing letters to the future. This brought to life the power of my $39 a month that was being pulled together with other sponsors to invest in things like education and healthcare, clean water, food security, economic development, child protection, all rooted in pointing to the love of Jesus. In Caroline's community, I think I have a picture here, I learned that 42% of the girls are married before age 18. But that's changing because sponsorship is writing a different future for girls like Caroline. Do you see what it says on that sign? Books, not husbands. Teaching kids about their rights. And due to my sponsorship and the hundreds of other sponsors partnering with their community, Caroline will grow up in a world where she can dream of pursuing an education and use the gifts that God has given her as I witnessed in the transformation and hope coming to life in Ethiopia in Melisetch's community. Do you see it? This is what it's all about. Broken circumstances restored, inherent dignity affirmed. And y'all, the same beautiful upside down love of God that delights in us and chooses us then calls us to be builders and co-labors of his kingdom by restoring and affirming the inherent dignity uh, restoring the circumstances and affirming the inherent dignity of our brothers and sisters. That same love is calling Crosslane to partner with Mimbire Zimbabwe and do something that he has never done before. Now, Mimbire is a community near the northern border of Zimbabwe that's flat and grassy, they're prone to drought, and most of the people are incredibly poor. They're struggling to meet their own family's needs. And one of the biggest challenges for this community is education for the kids, both helping the parents and the community leaders understand the value of education as a lot of the parents are illiterate and there aren't very many schools in the area. And as I think about these needs and what World Vision with sponsors can do to come alongside them, I, I think about how the pandemic has made those needs even more urgent. But please know that just because the people of Mimbire have less does not mean they are less. And the world may look on them and cast judgment, but that is not how God sees them. 
This is a community of strong and powerful people who just need a chance. And these people, they bear the image of God, just need some folks to come alongside them to restore their circumstances and affirm their dignity. In Cross Lane, today, I'm asking every one of you to write letters to the future by becoming a child sponsor, set, sponsor to say yes to sponsoring one of the over 2,000 kids that are waiting to be sponsored in this area. Kids just like Caroline and Melisech who are desperately waiting for a sponsor to restore their circumstances and affirm their dignity as a child of God. And now for years, we have partnered with churches all over the U.S. by connecting them with communities in need through individual, through um, connecting them with an individual child in that community. And I want you to picture how we've done this in the past. Picture if, if you're at the church going into the lobby after service and seeing a string hung horizontally and then um, clothespins holding up pictures of unique children and then us asking you to go and choose one of these kids that you want to sponsor. But for the last few years, we've been praying some big prayers at World Vision that again would turn our world upside down. Big prayers that God would not let us rest, but be even more innovative around the ways that we can radically affirm and proclaim the dignity of the people that we serve. And do you know what he did? He birthed an idea that really did turn our world upside down. He led us to ask a question that would change everything. And that question is what can we do from the very first step in the relationship between the child and the sponsor, from that powerful beginning to radically proclaim that the child, they are a child of God, to proclaim their inherent dignity and what it would look like for us in the first time in history, that instead of us choosing them, what if we empowered those kids to choose us? And y'all, this Wednesday, Cross Lane is hosting a choosing party in Zimbabwe, where guess what? The guests of honor at this party are going to be the most vulnerable children in Mimbire. And we are going to, we want to have as many people as possible be a part of this party where the kids are going to see you and choose you, a party where continuing to have these children wait and wait to be chosen by a sponsor, they are going to walk into a room where there are pictures displayed of smiling faces of people from your church and have the power and hope to choose you as their sponsor, as their friend that they want to get to know. And we're going to be inviting them to write letters right after they, they choose you, to tell you exactly why they wanted to choose you as their sponsor. And oh my goodness, those letters are so stinking adorable. I can't wait for you to see what they say. And they're going to spend the rest of the day celebrating with World Vision staff and, and their families. And the fact that not only they got a sponsor, but they got to choose 
How empowering and exciting is that? And in the spirit of both connection and celebration, we are going to put the, your pastor, Brett, on a plane to Zimbabwe at a later date to meet these children, to see how the children that chose you, how their circumstances are being affirmed, how their dignity is being affirmed because you decided to sponsor them. And travel, especially internationally right now, is really difficult, especially in very vulnerable communities. But as soon as it's possible, we're going to put Brett on a plane, and it is going to be the most epic celebration as he gets to see that restoration and that hope right before his eyes and get to see the kids that chose you. What an incredible party that'll be in this party this week as kids choose you. It's going to be epic. So in the meantime, so that kids don't have to wait for sponsors, this party filled with connection and celebration, each one of us on the other side of the world, here's what we're doing. Um, in a couple minutes, you're going to hear from Brett, and he's going to share more. We actually hopped on a Zoom call earlier this week with um, some of the community leaders in Zimbabwe, and he's going to share about what it meant to connect with them and share some vision for, for you all as the congregation at Crosslane. But as a way to keep us connected and celebrating, celebrating one another, whether you're online or in person, we have created a private Facebook group just for Crosslane Church um, to celebrate each and every one of you because as soon as you sign up, your picture is actually going to be automatically loaded into this group so that we can like, tag, celebrate one another um, as we celebrate and experience this whole process together and, and talk about the anticipation throughout the week. And in fact, World Vision uh, leaders in Zimbabwe are going to try to capture some, some pictures and videos, and they'll send those over to Brett, and he'll be able to post those in the Facebook group so that we can see how the party's going. And this is actually a picture of the Facebook group, and you can see some leaders on there that you know um, right here at Crosslane Church. And so I'm going to give some final instructions at the end of exactly what to do, but first, I have been looking forward to all week hearing from Brett, so I'm going to pass it to you, Brett. We have an incredible, incredible opportunity in front of us, an opportunity to put smiles on faces, an opportunity to have to make an impact halfway around the globe, an impact that is big, far-reaching, long-lasting. I don't know about you, but that's my kind of thing. You've got a chance today to put a smile on a kid's face halfway around the world using technology and doing it in a way that has just recently been developed. There aren't a whole lot of churches that have done this yet. Um, I don't know how long they've been doing it, but we're kind of on the front end of it. And it's, it's just this whole idea that they get to choose us is really, really cool. This past Wednesday, the staff and I gathered in the conference room, and we did a Zoom call with uh, the leaders in Mbiri, Zimbabwe. And we, we met with a lady named uh, Effie Chin Chinema and Daniel Mako. And they told us about over 2,600 kids in Mbiri that nobody sees, nobody knows about. They're pretty much forgotten. They're underprivileged. They don't, they're, they're underserved. They don't have anything. We saw pictures of them 
you know, for them to have a desk to sit at at school would be like a luxury. Little kids on the ground with their pencils and their paper trying to write their lessons on the ground. Just heartbreaking, some of the stuff that, that we learned. And all they're waiting for is for somebody to see them and to care and say, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to sit on my hands. You know what, there's a ton of stuff in the world today going on that you may question, you may wonder what's going on, you may wonder what's next. There's a lot of stuff that's out of your hands. You know something that's not out of your hands? Helping a child is not out of your hands. You have power over that. In our vision of bringing people to Jesus, this is right in our wheelhouse. This is who we are. This is what we're about. This is our wheelhouse. This is the kind of stuff we do. Didi and I already sponsor two children. We've done that since we've been married. Um, their pictures are on our refrigerator, so I walk by those every day, and every day when I see them, I think about those two kids and I pray for him. Uh, the first little guy I want to show you is Dendry. And Dendry is six. He lives in Indonesia. He just turned six last month. And Dendry is a replacement child for me because the first I got him through Compassion International, and the first one that we got through Compassion, uh, his name was Candius. Candius Tabuni, and he was poor. The picture I got was this little fella in rags. And over the course of our time with Candius, he moved a time or two, and then we got word that his daddy had passed away. And then he moved out of the system, so... I lost complete contact with Candius. Don't know where he is. I still pray for him. Pray for Dendry every day. He's a cute little fellow. He's my little buddy. He doesn't know it, but he's my little buddy. And Dee Dee and I are happy to support him. And then we, through World Vision, we sponsored a young lady named Nyasha. She lives in Matusa, Zimbabwe. She speaks Shona. And uh, there are actually some more recent pictures of her. She's developing into a beautiful young woman. And on World Vision's website, there's places when, she, when you sponsor a child, there, you go to this dashboard and you can go in and see you know, what, what your sponsorship is doing. Have a chance, we have a chance to send her birthday cards and birthday presents and Christmas presents. And, and we do all that. And, and, um, but there's a place there where World Vision will shoot video and they speak to you. And she speaks Shona. She doesn't speak English, but she's speaking to me and Didi. And I don't know what she's saying. I'm sure it's thank you. <laughs> but it's so sweet. And, and just the idea that Didi and I get a chance to help these two kids, it's just a joy. And so, you know, I knew this was coming. I knew this weekend was coming. And I wasn't sure that I was going to sponsor another child. Talked to Didi about it. We were a little bit in the air. But then on that Zoom call, as we were talking to Miss Effie, she showed us a picture of a little boy, 10 years old, and he had some goats around him. 
And then she showed us a letter. They, put a, they shared a screen with us, and they put this letter on the screen, and it was a letter to World Vision. And basically the letter said, hey, I just want to thank you, World Vision, for supporting me and sponsoring me because of that sponsorship. I've been able to get some goats. So I can pay to go to school. and buy my uniform and some stationery. I started thinking about what was I doing at 10? My biggest worry when I was 10 years old was whether or not I could get enough guys together in the backyard for a wiffle ball game. That was the biggest challenge I had. I didn't have to worry about what my clothes were going to be going to school. I didn't have to worry about paying for my own school. I didn't have to worry about coming up with books and stationery so that I could learn my lessons. All that was taken care of for me. So I'm thinking about you know, God already sponsored these two, we, you know, Didi and I sponsored these two kids. I mean, isn't that enough? And God said, my question to God was, do you want me to sponsor this third child? And God's answer was, you can and you will. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's the answer to that. So here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you and tells you to do something, you may want to write this down. The Holy Spirit never asks you to do anything that you can't do. Do you know that? No matter what it is, if the Holy Spirit asks you to do something or commands you to do something, you can do it. It's not a question of can I. No, you can because he told you you could. Some of you listening to my voice this morning, you're, you're watching all this and you're thinking to yourself, I would love to sponsor a kid, but there is financially no way I can do that. I do not want you to feel bad, okay? I don't. I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want you walking out of here feeling guilty. This is not a guilt trip. This is not a guilt trip. If you hear all this, and you can be completely dissociated, and you can walk out and say, it's not for me, that's fine. I will not look down on you. I will respect you the same. I get it. You can't, maybe you can't do it, but some of you cannot just do one. You could do two or three of these. And it wouldn't even be a stretch. wouldn't even stretch you. What I want you to do is I want you to open your heart and I want you to list, let your spirit listen to the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. And let's just make this deal. You just do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. That's all I'm asking you to do. If the Holy Spirit says to you, hey, you can go ahead and leave Cross Lane. You don't need to worry about this. Then you walk on out the door. That's fine. But... If you hear something else, my advice is you stop down and you be obedient. You don't want that hanging over you. Our goal for this is in keeping with our Celebrate 40 campaign for this year, and we set a goal, a minimum goal of 40. We thought, you know, if we could get 40, that would that'd be kind of in line with what we've been doing. 
setting some goals for, for our Celebrate 40. But the wow goal this morning, and it is a wow goal, okay? It's, it's like, it's so far out there that it would be, if we got that, it would be, God, you are amazing. But the wow goal was 80. Can you imagine coming back here next week and walking into the lobby and there be 80 envelopes lined up where little kids have been, had the chance to go in like you saw in the video and see your picture and walk up and say, I want this person to, I, I, I choose them. And you're going to walk in next week and take that thing off the wall and you're going to get a chance to open it up and see which child chose you and the child that you're going to support the way Dee and I support Dendry and Nyasha. I was backstage while Amy Claire was talking. I, was, I pulled up my phone and looked at the Facebook page with all the pictures of people that have already had their picture made and already said we're in. There's already people that have done it. I just was praying over them. I was proud of them. Thinking about the kids. I want you to experience that. And I want us to look at these kids in Embiri and say, we choose to let you choose us. I'm going to ask Amy Claire to come out. Take your phones out. Take your phones out, and she's going to lead you through a process. If you've decided this is something that you want to do, get your phone ready, and she's going to tell you what the next steps are. And then I'll come back out and close this. So friends... Here's the reality. We are going to give kids in Zimbabwe an opportunity to choose you and put the power in their hands. And so this is exactly what it's going to look like. We're actually, it's two steps. So the first one, and pastor gave me permission to do this. I want you to all pull out your phones. Um, those of you watching online, um, there's a, a slide up right now, but I want you to text this keyword. You are going to text... Um, well, you're going to put like where you'd put mom or dad or Joe or whoever it's to. You're going to put in this number, 56170. And then you're going to put as in you're saying hi or whatever you would put in a normal message. You're going to put in this keyword. It's going to be C-L-C-C online, all one word. So Cross Lane Community Church online, C-L-C-C online. And you're going to hit send. When you do that, you're going to get a bounce back and there's gonna be a link that pops up on your phone. Um, I see it there. And it'll ask you how many kids that you want to choose you. Um, I think you can see it here. Um, and as I shared earlier, those are just two of the sponsor kids my husband and I have. We, my husband and I actually have three sponsor kiddos, so maybe God's calling you. I know there's people here that sponsor kids already. Maybe God's calling you to more children, so you can choose that. And the second step, and this is the most important, um, for those of you online, you are going to, after you do that, you'll fill out all your contact information. And the last step, it asks you, um, do you want to go to a photo booth or do you want to upload a picture? If you're at home, you're going to upload a picture. You're going to take a selfie. You're going to upload a picture from your phone so that that way the kids in Zimbabwe can see that picture. The people here are actually going to um, get a, uh, a uh, go to a photo booth in the lobby, and they'll be able to take it at a photo booth here as well. So there's an opportunity. But the most important thing you need to know is to 
on today, on Sunday, um, October 3rd, if you're watching this at a later time, the cutoff is 9 p.m. So if you want to be chosen this Wednesday at the party, make sure that you sign up before 9 p.m. so that that way that picture can be Uh, put up at the choosing party in Zimbabwe. And next week, every one of you, whether you're online or in person, you're going to have an envelope with your name on it um, with so that you can open it up and see the picture of the child holding your picture that chose you. And so that's what it's going to look like um, next week. And those of you that are part of the online-only audience, you're actually going to get an email, and so you're going to find out who chose you that way. But everyone... I'm excited to see these epic photos on the Facebook page, um, start liking and celebrating them, upload that picture, text in, fill out that steps before 9 p.m., and I'm just going to pass it back to you to close out our service today. So as your pastor, I care about things like this for you. These things are important for you in your spiritual life. You, You need to do this kind of stuff. It's good for you to do this kind of stuff. So I want you, if you can do this, I want you to do it. Because I want you to be able to walk in here next week and and be able able to participate and feel the joy that comes from taking that picture out of that envelope. promise you it's going to be beautiful. To the people of Mbiri and the kids there, this is what I say. We see you. We love you. We're coming to help.